0: Uh, Good morning, church. The sermon is titled Yahweh Commissions. Yahweh is the name of our covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. And in Matthew 28, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. So, Every single Christian has been commissioned officially by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We all have different roles. Some are called to preach. Some are called to teach. Some are called to just serve your roles and the gifts that God's given you. Some are called into the mission field. Some are called into the home. This is the commissioning. Wherever God has assigned your assignment, this is where you're called to be faithful. And today, we're going to receive incredible encouragement. And perhaps you're in a season of transition. Perhaps God's been stirring something in your heart. Perhaps you're in it, and it's been difficult. This portion of Scripture is a particular encouragement to me, as Ezekiel, the prophet, is called by God himself. Although none of us are prophets, we're able to see how God actually commissions Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, the Lord says. I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Lord says. I will always be with you, the Lord says. So how does this actually play out? We're going to find out in Ezekiel chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22 is where we're going to start and end up in chapter 3, verse 2. Okay, and a little bit of context Ezekiel is the wounded priest, as we learned last week, where things haven't turned out the way he envisioned them. Yet God has something new for him. God has an audible in his life. And today God makes it official what he has called Ezekiel the prophet to do. He called him to speak his word to the nation of Israel. And last week we also saw how Ezekiel how Ezekiel saw God's angels and his the wheels of providence working to bring all this to pass. And so today Ezekiel receives a special assignment. So let's rise if you're able to. We read we do this to honor God's word. This is the treasure that we hold in our hands. And if you have your phones or your paper Bibles, follow along with me. I'll be reading from the a legacy standard Bible, Ezekiel 1, verse 22. Now, over the heads of the living creatures, there was something with the likeness of an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal, spread out over their heads above. And underneath the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one towards the other. Each one had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters as they went like the sound of the almighty a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp whenever they stood still they dropped their wings and there came a sound from above the expanse that was over their heads whenever they stood still they dropped their wings now above the expanse that was over their heads there was something like in the like something in the likeness of a throne like sapphire stone in appearance And upon the likeness of the throne high up was the likeness of one with the appearance of a man. Then I saw from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like the gleam of glowing metal with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downwards, I saw something with the appearance of fire. And there was a radiance all around him as the radiance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the radiance all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And I saw this, and I fell on my face, and I heard a sound of a voice speaking. Verse chapter 2. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and caused me to stand on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I'm sending you to them who are stiff-faced and strong-hearted children. And you shall say to them, Thus says Lord Yahweh. As for them, whether they listen or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now is for you, son of man. Do not fear them. Do not fear their words. Though thistles and briars are with you and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Verse 8. Now it's for you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be re- rebellious like the, that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. Then I looked and behold, a hand was set forth to me and behold, a scroll was in it. Then he spread it out before me and it was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, sighing and woe. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach, fill your body with this scroll which I'm giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy and perfect word. Thank you for this word. Shows how sweet your word is today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Well done, good and faithful servant, is what we all long to hear. And Yahweh does not just send us out. God does not just commission us. Hey, go, this is what I have for you. He's with us. And we're going to see how God is with us as he commissions. This is the encouragement. The encouragement is that God is with us. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's one question that we're going to answer today just so we're able to follow along. This is a narrative. So I'm going to try to give some uh, 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 um, high points here. But through it all, I'm hoping that we see how, how God commissions His people. So how does God commission you and me as He sends us out to serve Him? We're going to look at the sovereign throne. Then we're going to see the Spirit working. And then we're going to see the sweet word, the sovereign throne the spirit and the sweet word. This has been a particular encouragement to me as, as I've been studying this and looking at this over the last couple of years. And so hopefully, I pray that you will be encouraged as well. So let's ask the question again. How does God commission his people? Number one, it begins at the th- sovereign throne. It begins at the sovereign throne. So the cameras, the, the stories, it goes from the wheels of Providence that we talked about last week. And now it goes higher, above this expanse, above the angels, above this space, a crystal-like expanse, and above this, the angels is his view. The Lord himself gets our eyes from the wheels of providence, how he works in this world, up into the throne room of heaven. And really, this is the climax of this vision. It doesn't get any higher than God. If you want to be inspired, if you want to be motivated, if you want to be encouraged, look none other than to God. And this is where the the scene shifts. And Ezekiel sees a throne. The throne represents the sovereign rule of God where God himself is seated on the throne right now amidst all the craziness and chaos of this world amidst the trials that you're going through, amidst the joys that you're going through, and God is on the throne. He's never left the throne. He's always been sitting on the throne. And this is where, from the throne, he commands his servants and commissions us to go and serve his purposes. God is on the throne. And it says "This is the, the throne looked like a sapphire crystal. Your version may say lapis lazuli. All right. What is that? This is one of the most precious stones in the ancient day. This speaks about the splendor and majesty of God Himself as He's sitting on this magnificent throne. And the Bible says that He was high and lifted up. This is talking about the highest throne of all. This is the throne that's where every knee will bow, where every con- confess. The throne of their lives someday if you're a christian you've done this right now where you submit to the throne of god if you're not a christian we pray that you will become one on this side of eternity but no matter what whether you're a believer now or you're an unbeliever every knee will bow every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord and who is sitting on the throne? Verse 26 says this. At the end, high up was the likeness of one with the appearance of a man. Then I saw from the appearance of his loins, his waist, and upward something like the gleam of glowing metal with the appearance of fire all around within it. And the appearance of his loins or his waist, and downward I saw something with the appearance of fire. And there was a radiance all around him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ showing himself in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is a source of the glow as, as, uh, Ezekiel in chapter one earlier saw the cloud coming and there was a bright light coming from the cloud. The angels weren't the source of the light. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. His glory, His holiness was shining From in the middle of the clouds. And why do I feel so certain this is the Lord Jesus Christ? Revelation 1. Turn there later on sometime or write it in your notes. Revelation 1. John the apostle sees a man who's glowing like the sun, whose feet are glowing like burnished or glowing metal, whose voice sounds like the sound of many waters, And just like Ezekiel does in verse 28, John falls at his feet like a dead man. This is none other than the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is sitting on the throne. So when we sing about, Behold our God, this is Christ that we're singing about. We're singing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 28, there's a very unique aspect to his sovereign throne, which I think is quite encouraging. We need to understand this. There's details in the Bible, sometimes it's difficult to discern, but this detail we need to understand. Verse 28, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 28 with me. They said there was a radiance all around him, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 20 it says, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the appearance of the radiance all around him. This is a rainbow. We've all seen rainbows. I love going to Hawaii. You know They call that the rainbow state. I mean, it rains all the time, and it's always sunny, and all of a sudden you see this incredible rainbow. You love it when you see the rainbow, and all of a sudden, blocks away, you just see this rainbow. Sometimes you can see the whole bow. And this is exactly what Ezekiel sees, and this is exactly what... He wants to communicate to us about the sovereign throne. Why is this so encouraging? We need to understand the rainbow. And my mind and heart was drawn towards the rainbow this weekend. So what comes to mind when you think of rainbows today? Obviously, you see the hijacked LGBTQ flags everywhere, right? That's not the meaning of the rainbow. Okay, let's make that clear. The rainbow is a symbol of God's sovereign faithfulness, meaning since he's in control of all things and whatever he has promised, he's going to do. This is the nature of our God. And since he's sovereign, he guarantees it. Sovereign means he's in control of all things. And as you think about rainbows, we understand that from the throne, God also executes judgment. See, the rainbow is a comforting symbol to those The promise is given too. But in order to have rainbows, you need a storm. We understand this. The the light shines through the water, through the storm, and eventually you see a rainbow as the light is refracted through through the water. And I know many of us are thinking, man, Pastor Rocky's talking about Noah's storm. Exactly, Genesis 9, if you want to write that down. There was a rainbow after the global storm that flooded the entire earth. And killed every living being other than those who were on the ark. The throne room is the one that judged the wicked earth and sent the flood. But also, the rainbow communicated, I will never destroy the entire earth with a flood ever again. It's a promise. Judgment came, but I'll never do this again. The second rainbow that's found in the Bible So there's one in Genesis 9 I'm going chronologically Genesis is the beginning of the Bible and there's the first rainbow at the time of Noah second rainbow is found right here Ezekiel 1 Ezekiel 1 Ezekiel sees a vision of the uh, of the throne room but he realizes that the throne the sovereign throne is what executed the judgment against rebellious Israel with an exile There was a storm, and Ezekiel was in the storm. And God shows him this, with this rainbow, Ezekiel, I know you're being judged right now, your nation's being judged, but I still have not forgotten about you, my promises. Ezekiel will prophesy later on in this book that they will gather the nations back into the promised land. And the fact that Israel exists today is an amazing thing. I have not forgotten you. And then let's fast forward to the book of Revelation, a third appearance of a rainbow in the Bible. Revelation 4, 1 through 3, 1 through 3, John the apostle sees a vision of heaven, as was read by his sister Jen. And this rainbow comes before the second coming of Christ. So this hasn't happened yet. This hasn't happened yet. And the throne, the sovereign throne, is preparing to unleash judgment upon every unforgiven sinner. Judgment is coming. A storm that's greater than Noah's storm. A storm that's greater than being in exile. The greatest storm is coming towards every single unforgiven sinner. As Jesus Christ is preparing to, uh, to mount his horse, his white stallion come with a sword this time and to execute judgment against every unforgiven sinner. However, there is a rainbow in Revelation 4 that promises that every single Christian, every man, woman, and child who's been forgiven through Christ will be spared. Warren Wearsby points out something very helpful and he talks about the rainbow is, it reminds us of God's faithfulness, and we already know this as we talked about it right now. But it's interesting, as Wearsby points this out, in, in Noah's rainbow, God shows his faithfulness after the storm. In Ezekiel's rainbow, God shows that he's faithful while you're in the storm. They're in exile at that moment. And then right here in John's rainbow in Revelation, God shows that He's faithful before the coming storm. And in other words, Ezekiel's being told by God, by the presence of the sovereign throne, that I am with you. I got a difficult task for you, but lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Isn't that amazing you study the Bible there's all you could get more clarity as you just look for these cross references Pastor Victor our service leader today likes to call them hyperlinks you know and I like to just call them cross references but hyperlinks and that's 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 where you help understand the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible to help understand certain things that aren't super clear in that moment but what did this rainbow emanate or radiate It, it Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. The glory of God was being shown through this rainbow. The glory kabod, which means the weightiness, the heaviness of God, the brightness of God. I want us to see the gospel in the rainbow here. As light shines through the storm and refracts and produces a rainbow, Right, just like the rainbow demonstrates all the entire color spectrum—the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and purple—we've seen them all. It's just beautiful, gorgeous, is all, all inspiring. Likewise, the gospel, the gospel, saving message of Jesus Christ radiates the very spectrum of God's glory. And let me try to do my best to explain what I mean by that. You see, if we're in the presence of God's glory, we we would just be like, as as Isaiah said, I'm about to incinerate, I'm about to be burned up. We might be like John or Ezekiel who fall over like a dead man. We couldn't handle God's glory. It's too much for us to comprehend. However, in the gospel, through the gospel, the saving message of Jesus Christ, how Christ came to save sinners from this coming storm, God breaks it down for us. God breaks it down for us and and segments His glory into various spectrums so that we can understand a little bit better. Let me explain. The gospel radiates God's holiness. God is worthy of worship and He's completely set apart from all creation. And then God demonstrates or radiates His wrath where every sin will be dealt with. He is angry towards sinners. And all sinners are separated from God forever. The gospel also communicates God's justice. Or think about it, there's so much injustice in this world. Like, is anybody going to do anything about this? Maybe you've been mistreated, Maybe maybe you've been called and slandered upon. Well, you may not see justice on this side of eternity. But God has dealt with every single sin, whether on the cross or through the sinner in eternal punishment. He's just. The gospel also demonstrates and shows God's genius. Who else will come up with a plan to save mankind by sending His one and only Son to save sinners? Who else will think about that? God is a genius. It also demonstrates God's sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. His one and only Son. Sacrificial, hesed love, agape love, love of the will, love of commitment. And then we're also able to see God's mercy and grace, where forgiveness is offered to sinners. And not only forgiveness, grace—we get to be treated as sons and daughters in heaven with Him. And finally, the gospel shows God's faithfulness. You could trust Him. You could absolutely trust. Him. And that's just parts of it. I—that's I, all I have to think about in some ways. But I know there's way more than this. There's things that we can't even understand yet. I think we can understand these things that are communicated through the gospel. So friends, if you're a guest here, or maybe you've been here for many years, have you actually escaped the coming storm, the coming judgment that's coming upon unforgiven sinners? Have you actually escaped by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that he died for your sins, that he's alive? And he's sitting on the throne room of heaven. Get ready to come back. Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you committed your life to trust him as your sovereign God? All of us at this church will just encourage you. Please consider the one sitting on the throne. To be faithful servants, we must be focused. And ministry is filled with challenges. It'll test you, it'll search you out. Whether you're in the storm, whether you just got out of the storm, or whether you're getting ready to come into the storm, God is with you, my brothers and sisters. And Ezekiel was deep going deeper into the storm as his assignment will get even harder. It's one thing to be a priest on the river Kabard. It's another thing to speak what God has called him to speak to the Israelites. It's gonna get harder. It's gonna get harder. And we don't need more details of the storm. We know it's this hard. We just know there's opposition. What you need is this. You need a clear, what I need is a clear view of the throne, the sovereign throne. We don't need to be so much experts in the the issues of life here. We need to be experts as much as we can about the sovereign throne. And the rainbow is an amazing example of that. Of how God is faithful. He keeps all his promises and how God can be trusted at all times. Church, we can be faithful because we know that God is faithful. That's why we could be faithful. If we could trust him with our eternity, think about this. If you could trust him with your eternity, you could trust him with your calling. This is a drop in the bucket for our Lord. You can trust him. And I know as I look out right now, there's some difficult ministry assignments that you've been dealt with, and it's great. And I hope that this is encouraging you that the gospel says, I am with you to the end of the age. In verse 28, this is just an amazing view. At the end, it says, I fell on my face. I think in horror. I think in worship. I think in unworthiness. And then what happens? And I heard a sound of a voice speaking. This goes to our next point. How does God commission his people? He empowers us with the spirit. He empowers us with the spirit, the spirit of God. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Then he said to me, isn't that amazing how God speaks to us? (laughs) He doesn't just leave us on the ground. Even in Revelation chapter 1, as John is laying there like a dead man, the one, Jesus Christ, the the Alpha and Omega, touches him on the shoulder and speaks to him. Isn't that amazing how God is? Then he said to me, son of man, son of man, we need to understand this. God is getting ready to use strong language to speak to Ezekiel. God is a strong God. He says, son of man, this, this phrase is used 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. 99 entire, in the, in the Old Testament in entirety, but 93 of the 99 are found in the book of Ezekiel. Son of man, Ben Adam. This is a reminder of, to Ezekiel, who he is. God is reminding him. This is a perspective check. As if God is saying, I am the creator and you're, I formed you out of dust, Ezekiel. I know all things and you know only things in part, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, you are just a man. And we all need reminders, don't we? It's not about us, it's about God. And basically, God is reminding Ezekiel, humility is required. To be a faithful servant, you need to be humble. And look what he says at the, ver- at the second part of verse one: "Stand on your feet, that I may speak with you." Get ready to hear. Hearing from God is not a casual event, and it requires readiness to serve. Like, "Yes, Lord, speak, O Lord." Your servant is listening, just like Samuel. "Speak, O Lord," your servant is listening. Samuel, the prophet from First Samuel. So church family, I pray that on the Lord's day, I get it, there's a lot of distractions, particularly if you got little ones, right? There's a lot of distractions. But come ready to hear from God on the Lord's day. Come ready to hear from God on the Lord's day. That's why we have this little portion. Let's quiet ourselves as we prepare to worship the Lord. Look what happens in verse 2, how the Spirit enters the senior. And as he spoke to me, so simultaneously, I think, as God is speaking to uh, Ezekiel, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit entered me. And what did the Holy Spirit do? Look what it says. And caused me, made me, energized me, moved me, however you want to say, caused me to stand on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. You see what's required to be a faithful uh, servant? The Spirit of God needs to empower you, energize you, move you to obedience. God says, stand up. It was the Spirit that caused him to stand up. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And church, just a little time out here. This is pre-Pentecost. Pentecost Pentecost meaning in Acts 2, when after Jesus died, rose, and ascended, he and the Father send the Spirit to every Christian. So if you're a Christian right now, I see many believers, you have God's Holy Spirit in you, empowering you to obey, empowering you to love God, empowering you to understand what's being preached right now. But pre-Pentecost, Old Testament age, all right before Christ came, before Christ died, before Christ rose and sent the Spirit, there were special movements of the Spirit. All right here's some exact examples. He empowered some kings, King Saul, King David. He empowered certain judges in the Book of Judges, Samson and Gideon, where the Spirit comes upon them to do a mighty work. Or the prophets, the prophet Samuel was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Right. But we have something much better in the church age. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel prophesies how this will work. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you. Talking to Israel, but this is how God works in every believer. I will put my spirit within you. And look what the wording is. And cause you to walk in my statutes. Same language it's the work of the spirit cause you make you energize you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to do my judgments the spirit empowers faithfulness and ezekiel needed the spirit you know why because this was a tall task this was not an easy task In, in verse three through five, basically, he gives them one of the most, God gives them, Ezekiel, one of the most difficult tasks of all. Verse three, he says, son of man, right, there it is again. Son of man, I'm sending you to rebellious Israel. They're rebellious because they are disobedient to the word of God. They did not regard God's word. They're stiff-faced, verse four, and strong-hearted children. They're stubborn and self-willed. They were bent on doing whatever they wanted to do. This was Israel. Verse 5, as for them, whether they listen or whether they refuse. Many aren't going to listen. Many are going to reject your preaching, uh, Ezekiel, whether they refuse. For they are rebellious, rebellious. they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is Ezekiel's call. God was calling Ezekiel to be a prophet. A prophet is one who speaks from God gives new revelation new revelation the Bible is prophetic because this is revelation from God but we have no new revelation after revelation was closed and and so we have this book and what faithful preachers and teachers do is teach what's already been revealed through the the holy scriptures but look what he says in verse 6 now it's for you son of man constantly reminding Ezekiel do not fear them Do not fear their words. Sounds like God's words to Joshua in Joshua 1. Though thistles and briars are with you, and you sit on scorpions, although you will be persecuted, although you will have a huge opposition, neither fear their words nor be dismayed. Do not be fearful or be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. I remember in 2017, this is so personal. Why is this book so personal to me? I remember in 2017, I was bright-eyed, and I, I still am, but optimistic. I still am. I think, yes, that's great. We'll just leave coaching and come down and be part of a church family that I know. Like, all my friends are there, and we're going to have a great time together. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but you know, it's we'll all be together. And God was sending me encouragement through other people, through people, uh, other believers. And Pastor MacArthur and I were just talking privately and upstairs in my new or my current office. And this is at a time when he was only in his 40th year of ministry. Okay, 48th year, so it's 2017. He said, Rocky, uh, by the way, this after he invited me to the seminary and all that. And he goes, by the way, um, if you preach the Bible, if you just preach expositionally, there's a good chance people are going to leave I said what do you mean they're going to leave I mean they all voted for me to be here they're not going to leave I didn't say that but I was thinking that but he 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 said this hang in there keep preaching the word keep preaching the bible the like-minded people are going to stay and more like-minded people will eventually come just keep preaching the bible just weather the storm hang in there just be faithful improve as a preacher work at your preaching and just keep preaching the word. just keep preaching the word keep preaching the word like-minded people are coming and i'm so thankful as i talked to dr austin duncan who preached for us a few weeks ago i said what'd you think Because, man, as I preach, everyone was so attentive. Eyes were locked in. They were tracking with me. So, church, I'm so thankful. I I, I can't relate to Ezekiel in this way. I know Evergreen Baptist Church, you love the word. That's why you're here. You love God's word, and we love God's word. And I'm so thankful and so encouraged by that. Dr. Steve Lawson and our others. Professor says that there are no easy ministry assignments so if God is calling you to any type of assignment whether it's teaching assignment or different type of assignment there are no easy ministry assignments he says an easy ministry assignment is an oxymoron they just don't fit I mean we understand this anyone knows who's accomplished anything meaningful in life you know it's difficult that's just life That's just life. Difficulty is part of anything that's meaningful. But as ministers, as servants, whatever capacity, we need to be very clear on what God says about ministry. Yes, there's nothing more joyful. I love it. You'll love it. However, it'll test you. And usually it's through people. That's just how it goes. Praise be to the Lord how he lets us know ahead of time. I mean, think about it. You're dealing with eternal matters. You are dealing addressing sin at times. You're addressing holiness. Sometimes you're addressing necessary change. It's gonna be hard. Don't you think you're gonna face spiritual opposition? The enemy will love to go against any good work of the Lord. That's part of the deal. Think about it if you're a good player, you're gonna get double coverage. That's how it works. Right? If you're not very good, if you're not effective for the kingdom, you're not going to be bothered by the other team. That's not gonna, how it works. But if you're effective, you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, you're going to get double coverage. That's how it is. Expect it. I mean, being a parent is hard. Raising your children to love Christ is hard. It's supposed to be hard. Being a light and salt and being salty at the workplace, it's going to be hard your teacher it's gonna be hard it's supposed to be hard I mean who would ever volunteer under these terms right I mean this is this is not normal this is not natural to think this way and I just want to address the future elders here whoever they are in this church family God knows I don't know who they are but God knows turn to 1st Timothy 3 1 just one verse I want to encourage our 1 Timothy 3.1. 1 Timothy 3.1. This is the work of the Spirit, guys, in 1 Timothy 3.1. It is a trustworthy or faithful saying. If any man aspires to the office of overseer or elder that describes the function of an elder, he desires a good work. This word he desires in the second portion of this verse, this is a spiritual given desire. This is a spirit given desire or internal desires a wanting to serve in this way is growing and growing and growing. That, that, that flame is getting bigger and bigger and hotter and hotter inside of you. I mean, it's not logical. It's not convenient. It's like this doesn't fit the season of my life, but you want to do it somehow. That's fun to work. That's the work of the spirit. And go back a little bit in that same verse, uh, Timothy 3.1. If anyone aspires, this word aspires is also a spirit-given aspiration where you begin to pursue it and reach out for this role. I want to equip myself. I want to get around other people that could teach me this. I see more needs and I'm fitting myself to meet these needs in the church. So you begin to, to pursue training, maybe online. Maybe you want to have a coffee with someone who's an elder type of person. Maybe you start reading books. Maybe, you, like I did in 2016 while still coaching, you go, you go on Liberty Online and you, you pursue a Master's of Theology. I mean, who would do something like that? It's this work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. Let's get back to Ezekiel chapter 2 here. Verse, two, verse 7 of chapter 2. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. You see how God is with us? His promises are there. The rainbow reminds of that. reminds us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Can you also see how that manifests, that his spirit is within us? He's literally with you and me, Christians, and that his spirit empowers us to be obedient. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Finally, how does God commission his people? He equips us with the sweet word, with the sweet word. So the camera pans down from the, uh, from the throne room of heaven and there's Ezekiel on his feet. And now there's a hand reaching from the throne room with a scroll in it in the hand of God. And in verse 8, he says this. Now as for you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like the re- that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. God is equipping Ezekiel with the words to speak. It's not on Ezekiel's creativity, his own intelligence, his own l- learning. God is telling him these are what you are to speak, but before you speak them, you must eat it. What is what are we talking about here? So we he eat munch on this scroll? Church, we could learn a lot of facts about God. We could be good at Bible Jeopardy and Bible trivia, right? We could be good at that. And that's good because you have to understand what the Bible says. It starts in the mind. Head knowledge is important. Let's not uh, get anti-intellectual all of a sudden. It, It does matter that we understand. Christianity is a very lucid religion where we actually understand from God. He speaks to us through the Bible. But it doesn't stop. The Spirit needs to take it into our hearts. So when we eat, we ingest. We take it all in. You are what you eat. Many people say it forms your inward convictions. It informs your entire being. It tells you who you are. This is how we're to treat God's word. And when we understand it to that level, knowing we know God knows we know God to that level. You speak with authority. You speak with authority. And in verse ten, it says he opened up the scroll. He opened up the scroll and basically reveals heaven's message. And revelation always begins with God. God always initiates revelation. We don't go the other way. God tells us from heaven what he's thinking. And what does verse 10 says? It was written on the front and back. Scrolls in that day were written on one side. They didn't have books like we do here, but scrolls. And the scribe would write something on behalf of the king... And then roll it up, put a seal, and then the, the, uh, the herald would open up a scroll, read it and read it in coal. Why was it written on the front and back? Because God had much to say. God had much to say to Ezekiel. God did not leave room for Ezekiel to edit or to add to God's word. Ezekiel's role was to speak the truth, and nothing but the truth. Ezekiel's role was to preach the full counsel of God. Ezekiel was coming with a loaded gun. He had all his chambers full, and he needed to unload everything. That's how Ezekiel's call to serve. And it says that the scroll had lamentations, sighing, and woe. There a lot of bad news in this uh, scroll, too. Ezekiel's not only to preach the good news, he needed to preach the bad news, too. That's what faithful prophets were to do. But I just want us to think, look at as we finish up the sermon here. Look at the let's look at the last three verses or the first three verses in chapter three. There's a unique encouragement here. Yes, it's encouraging that God gives us a content to preach and to teach. But Ezekiel three verse one, then he said to me, "What does it say? Son of man, again, right? Son of man, eat what you find." Eat this scroll, eat this scroll, and go and speak to the house of Israel. This reminds me of Ezra 710. Ezra 710 was a priest. It says this, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of Yahweh, and to practice it, the law of Yahweh, and to teach his statutes and judgment in Israel. Ezra was called to do the same thing that Ezekiel is called to do. Eat it. Study the word. Meditate on the word. Muse over the word. Let this become who you are, Ezekiel. Go. Practice it. Go. Be obedient. Live it out, what I'm telling you. And finally, speak. Teach the word. Preach the word. Counsel the word. This is what Ezekiel is called to do now this is an interesting thing here there's a built-in strengthening system for those who handle the word and this speaks to all of us really whether you're official preacher or teacher or not we all need to be in the word pastor MacArthur would share with our class he gives a warning to pastors and to preachers he goes I worry about pastors who do not spend time in the word where they dust off old messages off their files and print out the notes and go up and show up and speak. Those who give light treatments of the word, something very light and very topical where there's no explanation, no depth to the word, who do not labor at the word. He, he, he was, he's very concerned about those type of preachers because you could come up here empty. You could serve out of emptiness in your own flesh, like I got this, I could do this. So whether you're a preacher or a teacher or serving in some ministry, you need to be nourished by the word of God. You need to be nourished by the word of God. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16. Take pains with these things, God's word, studying God's word. Be absorbed in them, God's word, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself, your life, your thought life. Your meditations, your private life, your public life, how you live into your teaching. Meaning, Paul's telling Timothy, Your life and your doctrine need to be healthy. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. If you're a leader in the church, you need to be healthy internally. And the word of God is the is the agent the means of grace that scrubs us and strengthens us and convicts us and and, and confronts our desires, confronts our evil thoughts and 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 guards us against temptation, what moves us to repentance that keeps our eyes into heaven. You see, the messages that are preached from this pulpit or from the classroom are a byproduct of the work of the word in the preacher or teacher's life. This is what this is. You don't study the Bible to let me come up with a lesson plan. Of course I need to do that and it pressures me to go deep, but the first goal is how can I know God more? How can I be confronted with my sin more? How can I repent more? How can I be more aware of the needs of the church? See, the inner life is sanctified and the preacher's authority comes when there's a life that's con- that's conducive to teaching or to it's consistent with the teaching your life and your doctrine your life and your doctrine let me just read verse 2 and 3 so I opened my mouth so he obeys praise God I hope you're opening your mouth today and he fed me the scroll I pray that God is feeding you God's word right now and look what happened he said to me son of man feed your stomach eat up study the word Do your devotions. Meditate on what was preached. Pray through the scriptures. See if your life fits up according to what the Bible says. Fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, he says. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Why was the word of God so sweet? It may be, you may be Asking that this is not very sweet to me, right? Ezekiel was in the cellar of affliction right now, he is in a hard place, he was in a hard space. Are you in the cellar of affliction right now? Are you going through a difficult time right now? Are you struggling with relationships, maybe health, finances? Maybe the holidays aren't quite what you envisioned them to be as a younger person. Maybe your parents are gone now, and now everything feels different, even as an older man like me. Are you in the cell of affliction? Well, look what the Spirit does. He takes the trials in the Christian's life. He takes the trials in the Christian's life and makes God's Word sweet. Psalm 119, write this down. This is worth writing down so you understand why did I come up with this. Psalm 119, 71 says this. It is good for me that I was afflicted, the psalmist writes. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You see that? When you're going through affliction, you're looking for encouragement as you study the Bible. You're just not looking for knowledge at this point. You're looking for God, show me your glory. Show me that you're in this. Show me how you're working in, through this trial. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I keep thinking about your word because I need it. I understand more when Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I need your word. I'm ready to tap out right now for ministry. I need your word. Psalm 119, 103 so Psalm 119.71, Psalm 119.97, and Psalm 119.103 says this, How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that clear? How God uses it all to strengthen his servants. Trials are part of it so that he will strengthen us, so that he will make his word more sweeter to us. It's not just head knowledge, it's just, it, it all works together. The word is the content of what we do and preach, but also nourishes the soul of the servant. It has to be there. So in conclusion, the Lord says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. His throne should remind us of his faithfulness. His spirit empowers you and me to be obedient. And his sweet word guides and nourishes us. Church, you could do it. You could do it. It's not about you or me. It's about God. You could do it because he is faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word at Ezekiel. Thank you. It is about you. It's about your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for your good word in our lives. Uh, And I thank you that you you have sent your spirit to indwell the believers, Lord. I pray your spirit will fall upon the non-believers in here, and they will see your glory. They will see how the rainbow manifests how great you are and shows how great you are. And they will turn to you as Lord and Savior. They will repent of their sins and turn to you, Lord. Father God, I pray for Evergreen Church. I thank you that we do love your word. We love your word at various levels, though, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will make your word sweeter and sweeter to our mouth. And you will do whatever it takes to make it sweet. So thank you, Father. We know you're faithful. We know that you're on the throne. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.